Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, April the 13th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, North Carolina, a state-by-state look. North Carolina is one of the states that I will be taking a look at on this episode of The Politocrat. It is the state I'll be looking at Because there are things that you need to be aware of as we move toward 2024 about what is going on in the states across the United States. The focus today, North Carolina. I'll be talking about a number of things in the state that you should be aware of. All of that coming up next.
and back to work he goes. That was the voice of Representative Justin Pearson yesterday on the uh, during the uh, uh, Shelby County Commissioners meeting. Actually, he was invited to make a statement, and you just heard a portion of it, dear listener. Welcome to this Thursday edition of the Political Daily Podcast. I hope you're well. It's sunny. Here in San Francisco, California, I hope it's sunny where you are, and I know that there have been a lot of storms in various parts of the world, and I do hope that it is, if it might be storming where you are, I hope it's not storming in your heart. I hope that your heart is peaceful. I hope that you are feeling well and are feeling in good spirits. If you're not, I do hope that that changes for the better for you on this Thursday. It's great to have you here. Nice to be here with you. Nice to have you aboard on this Thursday on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Omar Moore here inviting you uh, always to think differently, to expand your critical thinking, to think critically. I think that's very important. And today I'm going to be talking about North Carolina. And I'll get to North Carolina in a few moments. But the reinstatement yesterday of Representative Justin Pearson to his rightful place in the Tennessee House of Representatives was something that I told you would happen. I said it yesterday, if not uh, the previous episode, that Justin Pearson was going to be reinstated. There's no way that Justin Jones would be reinstated and Justin Pearson not. Here's the background on this particular reinstatement that happened yesterday. First thing was first, in the afternoon session of the Shelby County Board of Commissioners, the first thing they got to in the afternoon, one thirty central time in the afternoon yesterday, was to immediately reinstate Justin Pearson. I mean, it was right off the top. And by the way, I should tell you that there are 11 county uh, Board of Commissioners, Board of Commissioners there in Shelby County, 11 of them. Seven Democrats, four Republicans. That's a democratically controlled commission. Seven Democrats, four Republicans. This is in Shelby County in Tennessee. There are 93 counties in Tennessee. I should give you that information as well. Just some context for you. So at this Shelby County Board of Commissioners meeting, seven, total of 11 commissioners in all, it was a seven to nothing vote. All seven of the Democrats voted to reinstate Justin Pearson as a legislator to the Tennessee House of Representatives. Now, he'll still have to run in the special election. He is an interim legislator now, but he still holds that post. And in a few weeks or months, he will have to run for in a special election. And no doubt, with the voters willing, God willing, he will be back in office as a full-time legislator without the interim tag. Because technically, they're both interim. Both the two Justins are interim until they get to the special election. And hopefully, um, they will win. And I expect that they both will at this point. I mean, their profile now is, is national, if not in, it's an international profile. I'd be shocked if those voters don't re-elect both of them. And whenever that election happens, you will have those two, four, you know, they'll be back in as full, you know, without the interim tag. But both of them have been sworn in. Justin Pearson was sworn in this morning, early in the morning, 
Justin Jones was sworn in on Monday, right after he was reinstated. So look, the bottom line here is that it was a seven to nothing vote and all the Republicans, the four Republicans were chicken. They did not even show up to the meeting. It shows you how much of a sham and a farce this is and how it's completely all about power and making an example of two black legislators. Pure racism, 100% racism, plain and simple. And it was all about power, making an example of two black legislators. And also it was all about trying to teach a lesson to any would-be person who would be in objection to some of the disgusting or all of the disgusting things these Republicans do. So that's what you're hearing and that's what's going on. And uh, Representative Pearson there, triumphant in other uh, bits of audio and, and video, he was talking about white supremacy and the need to challenge it and defeat it and all the other sound bites I don't have time for here because I really want to get into North Carolina. But I am really pleased that the Shelby County Board of Supervisors, Board of Commissioners, excuse me, did the right thing. And Justin Pearson should not have been expelled in the first place. Neither should have Justin Jones. Neither of these two black legislators should ever, neither of them should ever have been expelled. It's completely unjust, unwarranted. There's nothing that justifies that. We have freaking child molesters who got freaking promoted in that state legislature, for God's sakes. I mean, these are, I mean, these are Republicans on top of that. I mean, not that, you need, not that it really matters at that point. As long as you've got the words child and molester next to your name, you should be out of politics. You should be in prison. That's where you should be, behind freaking bars. I don't care if you've got a D or an R next to your name. In this case, it was a Republican legislator, child molester, all kinds of stuff. And this guy stayed in and he got promoted, got promoted in Tennessee. In that same Tennessee House of Representatives. So you know what's going on here. You know what's going on here. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And this is why you need to vote, dear listener. If you are in Tennessee, you need to vote. If you are anywhere across the United States, you need to vote. And you need to have a plan to vote now. There's just no other way around it. These Republicans are fascists. They are drunk now with power. It's not even drunk. They are now absolutely on a power trip. A dangerous one at that. And what we as voters need to do is vote in every one of these elections. If you don't vote in these elections, you're going to get more of this. Do you want to continue to see unjust expulsions of legislators from legislators, legislatures all over the country? Do you want to see that? Because these two young brothers haven't done anything wrong. Everything they did was in accordance with the Tennessee state constitution, for goodness sakes. Article 2, Section 27. And then there's also an Article 1 provision that says that they are entitled to protest an unjust scenario in that House of Representatives. So you've got people, Republicans, fascists, who have got no regard for the law. They don't care about law. They care about power. The law? Huh. They don't care about law. They don't care about Constitution. Constitution? What Constitution? They don't care about the Constitution, these Republicans. They care about power. 
and they care about breaking the law and breaking the rules. That's what they love to do. That's what they care about doing because they love to break the rules and they love to violate the law. These people are criminals. They're doing things that are unjust. And one of them was the unjust expulsion of the two Justins. The two Justins expelled, but now they're back and we have to continue to support these brothers and let them know that we are with them. And not only that, we need to also continue to vote. That is the thing that you take away from this. Because if you can dilute these Republicans' power by voting, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Their power has to be diluted. There's just no other way around it. It's become a joke now. It's become a joke, but it's not funny. It's not funny. Dear listener, when I return, I'm going to get into North Carolina. One other thing to talk about really briefly, President Biden in Northern Ireland today and yesterday, he gave a speech yesterday at Ulster University in Belfast and talked about the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which took place on April the 10th of 1998. So we just marked that anniversary that took place. Um, the power sharing he talked about in Northern Ireland, which is very tenuous at the moment between Sinn Féin and the DUP, that's the um, Democratic Unionist Party, um, very, very right-wing party, that. And, you know, all of the uh, other things he talked about, which is include, included um, Ireland and his heritage there, and also talked about the, you know, the uh, quote-unquote democracy in the United States and how it's under threat. So, you know, I was going to play you about 15 minutes of President Biden's speech from yesterday, but I've decided to to actually shelve that for now. I will play you a soundbite later on, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think I will be playing a soundbite later on for you from President Biden um, that has something to do with North Carolina, but also the entire country. And I'm going to get to North Carolina right after this. listener, welcome back. And I'm going to be doing this, um, and I've already started doing this with various states here in the United States, talking about some of the issues that are going on in some of the states across this country. Now, wherever you are in the world, dear listener, the reason I'm doing this, quite frankly, is to really give you a lay of the land ahead of next year's elections here in the United States about what's going on in a lot of the states across the country here in the U.S. Because you don't generally hear about what's going on specifically in states across this country unless it's something that's blown up on the news or getting a lot of attention on the news, on the national news and the corporate news media in that way. But a lot of what you'll be hearing about from me over the course of the next few months, at least in the run up to next year, but particularly focusing on this year, 2023, is from local sources, local news sources that you're not going to be privy to unless you're really following this stuff closely or unless you live in the states that I will be talking about. One of them will be North Carolina. North Carolina is a state that is roughly uh, the 26th or 27th largest state, maybe the 28th largest state in the United States. 
by population is, I think, the ninth or tenth most, I think it's the ninth most populated state in the United States. And it is a state that's next door to guess where? Tennessee. Oh, oh yes, Tennessee. And it's a state that also borders guess where? Kentucky. Oh yes, Kentucky. So that is where the state of North Carolina is situated. And I just want to give you an idea of what is going on and what you can expect here um, coming up um, in this particular uh, segment, because I really want to get to this. This is very important. North Carolina is a state right now where a lot of things are going on that aren't good for the people of North Carolina and by extension aren't good for the country. You may remember that a few months ago, dear listener, I spoke about the North Carolina uh, Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court there. They had, in an election, got a five to two conservative majority on that seven member state Supreme Court. And that happened last November, 2022. And that court authorized Republicans in the state of North Carolina, Republican state legislators, to continue to gerrymander the maps for the state legislature and for the congressional districts in North Carolina. And I told you, dear listener, that back in February of this year, the North Carolina State Supreme Court voted to actually rehear two voting rights cases. They actually moved to rehear them. Not that they voted to, but they moved to rehear these two voting rights cases. And by the way, one of those cases, they had already struck down gerrymandering state Senate districts in. And in the other case, they already, as a court, nullified a voter ID law. I mean, this is, and I told you at the time how dangerous this was. They had already decided these cases and now the very same state Supreme Court in North Carolina is rehearing the same cases. That's like a scenario where in criminal law, you convict someone and now the same court that convicted you, let's say it's, let's say it's a conviction by judge, right? Judge convict, because you do have bench trials in this country where the judge will be the sole person hearing and trying the case or hearing the case and uh, be the trier of fact. The jury is usually the trier of fact. In some states, in some jurisdictions, it's the judge. So the judge is the one that is the trier of the facts and the trier of the law is the, the trier of the case is the, is the, are the attorneys. So there are jury trials and there are judge trials or bench trials as they're called. And this would be like having a bench trial, a judge decides to convict someone of committing a crime based on the, the knowledge that she has, based on what she's heard in the trial, she votes to convict. And then 
a couple of weeks later or a couple of months later, she says, oh, no, you know what? We're going to rehear this case. Very same one in the very same jurisdiction in the same court. You can't be doing stuff like this. And this is because these people have power to do what they're doing and they are unchecked in their power. And why has that happened? Because not only has it been voter suppression that's allowed it, but because so many voters have not voted, meaning Democratic registered voters. They're not voting in the numbers that they must vote in 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 the state of North Carolina. It's just absolutely hideous. So that's part of the background of North Carolina, the tobacco state, as it were called, as it were. And um, you really have to understand something. In addition to this state Supreme Court that's gone absolutely rogue fascist now, fascist and rogue, you have to look at some of the other things going on in the state of North Carolina. North Carolina has a Democratic governor. His name is Roy Cooper. He's been in office since 2018. North Carolina has a Republican-controlled state legislature, House and Senate. North Carolina has, as I've just said, a conservative majority state Supreme Court, five to two Republican. I mean, that's, that's a lot of control. And now the North Carolina state legislature, as of recently has a veto-proof supermajority. Where have we heard where have we heard that word? Where have we heard that word supermajority before, dear listener? Ring a bell? Yes, the neighboring state of Tennessee, where last week, as you know by now, as I've said earlier, two black legislators were expelled, courtesy of a right-wing, fascist, racist, white male supermajority in the Republican House in there in Tennessee. Supermajority. That's what it was. Two-thirds. And now the Republicans in the North Carolina state legislature have that supermajority as well. They can veto anything that the governor puts forward. So if they they can override, pardon me, the vetoes of anything that Governor Roy Cooper puts forward. They can do that. In fact, they have done it. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But North Carolina is a critical state. Very important state. Very important state. So that's the groundwork and the reason why North Carolina has this supermajority is because just last week a Democratic state legislator in the North Carolina House of Representatives switched political parties. She decided to leave the Democratic Party. Here's how it all sounded. I have decided to change my party affiliation, joining the Republican Party, and have been welcomed with open arms by my colleagues, and I'm glad to call you all my colleagues. As long as I have been a Democrat, the Democrats have tried to be a big tent. But this now where we are, modern-day Democratic Party, 
has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout this state and this country. All of this sense of control. I will not be controlled by anyone. They have pushed me out. They have made it Carolina is the Republican Party. It's an honor to be here today. I thank you all so very much. We are working together as statesmen and stateswomen. Unfortunately, that is talk in the Democratic Party that that's a good thing, but there is little action when it comes to that. And if I do that, I was considered a traitor, I was told, a spy. The house has already been said, just not everyone has said it, so we're going to make sure that we say it. But uh, yesterday afternoon, the, the speaker and I had the, oper- uh, the, the pleasure. So there you go. That was Trisha Cotham, who, a longtime Democrat, deciding to, there on April 5th of this year, just last week, deciding to switch parties, announcing there that she switched parties from Democratic to Republican. Oh, the Republicans are a place where I'm welcome with open arms and the Democrats were bullying me. Now, look, I don't know about the allegations. Um, There were some reported in in newspapers. The New York Times is one of them talking about these allegations. One of them um, talked about um, the fact that she apparently was accosted uh, along with her son while shopping at Target. Now, look, I, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's awful. That shouldn't be happening to anyone Nobody should be accosted like that and someone's loudly criticizing you in a store while you're shopping. I understand you know, there are people who are going to be, this is the general public, you're going to get some people who are going to be very risable in their criticisms. But I wouldn't go up to some lawmaker who's shopping and start shouting at them. I mean, I would just ignore them, quite frankly. You know, what you do, you know what the more effective thing to do is vote them out of office. That's more effective than shouting at them. In a supermarket. Now, look, I don't condone that. I've just told you I think that that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be happening. I am also saying that you do have some people out here who are very risable. And, you know, I think that, you know, people will say free speech, free speech. But I also think that, you know, free speech is one thing. Harassment is another. Now, um, nobody. How would you like you go into a store? You're a complete stranger and someone just comes up to you and starts yelling. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe that has happened to you where you where you are. But the, the bottom line is, is that I don't know how much of this bullying happened. Only Trisha Cotham does. She's in the best position to talk about it. It seems to me. It seems to me that there's something more going on than just uh, a few instances, perhaps, of alleged bullying. And who wants any bullying? Nobody does. I'm not trying to minimize anything that Trisha Cotham, the representative who's now a Republican, is saying. This is someone who voted for LGBTQIA rights, someone who voted for abortion rights, someone who herself had an abortion and spoke about it on the House floor and condemned Republicans in the 10 or 11 or 12 years that she was or 15 or whatever years that she was a Democrat. So obviously she has those views And I think that it's good that she spoke out when she was a Democrat. Now, she now is joining the Republicans. And I think there's something more to this than only the bullying. I think the bullying is enough, quite frankly. But what I'm saying is, was their money paid? I know the cynical part of me comes to bloom again. Full bloom, dear listener. 
You know, was she paid money to switch parties? I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. I'm speculating. Dangerous thing to do. But why would someone just switch parties like that? Supposedly, it's a rare thing, but we've seen this happen a number of times. We know Kirsten Sinema's done it. And what's to stop Kirsten Sinema from going full bore Republican anyway? She seems to vote with them. She's held up a number of things the Democrats have wanted to do in the United States Senate. We've seen this with Joe Manchin as well. And now Kirsten Sinema is an independent. And what Arizona needs to do is vote her out next time. And her running as an independent is designed to give Republicans an edge in the Senate, even if she doesn't switch to Republican eventually. Because what you'll have is a three-way vote, Republican, Independent, and Democrat. And what will happen is is that you will see the power of of the uh, seat go from the Democrats to the Republicans unless there's a large mobilization of Democratic voters, which is why we have to be doing this now, dear listener. So that's what I can see happening in Arizona right down the road. But as far as North Carolina goes, this is something that we're seeing. We've seen it here with Trisha Coffin. We've seen it with, as I said, in Arizona with uh, cinema. We've seen this with Jim Jeffords back in 2001 when Jim, Jim Jeffords actually switched from being an independent, excuse me, from being a Republican to being an independent. Jim Jeffords of Vermont, I believe it was. He switched. And that was a key thing that hurt the Republicans in that instance. But very rarely do the Republicans switch to be Democrats. There's been one other instance of this that I can think of. One incidence of this I can think of is obviously Charlie Crist, who was once the governor of Florida. He was a Republican governor. Then he became an independent and then he became a Democrat. And he ran for governor again last year in the midterms against Ron DeSantis. And we know how that turned out. He got absolutely knocked out of the box by DeSantis. So there are some occasions, it's not all that rare, it is somewhat rare, uh, but it's not all that rare that you have politicians switching parties. We've seen this in the United Kingdom a lot, a lot more, actually, over the last uh, five or six years with these conservatives in power for the last 13. Um, there was over the last four or five years, what you saw were switches of party from usually from the conservative side back to the Labour side or the Lib Dem side or to a different party. But you've not really seen it where Labour Party members go to the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom. You've seen it more so the other way, as I just said. Here in the United States, if party politicians switch, they tend to switch from Democrat to Republican. That's what tends to happen. So this is what's going on, dear listener, um, in North Carolina, that I want to just lay some of that background out to you. So with that in mind, and I might come back to some of this again, with that in mind, this is what I really want to focus on now. Because what you're going to be hearing in some of the clips, because I want to play some audio here for you, what you're going to be hearing is, I think, a useful laying out of these scenarios that have happened. The Republican House had, in North Carolina, passed a bill that would loosen gun restrictions, that would make it easier to get guns, to buy guns, to not have any federal oversight or any background check. 
This happened in North Carolina last month, March of 2023. Now, in on March the 24th of this year, the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, vetoed the bill that was passed, vetoed it, vetoed the Republican House of, of Representatives in North Carolina's bill that was passed. They It was vetoed by the governor on the 24th of March. This is what happened on the 26th of March, 2023, in the state of North Carolina. Listen to this. Good afternoon, everyone. A man arrested and charged after police say he was on a triad campus with several weapons and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. On March 26th, Greensboro police responded to North Carolina A&T State University for a heavily armed man. Campus police said Brandon Bentley was violent and making threats toward law enforcement. When Greensboro officers arrived, Bentley had been chasing unarmed security guards on campus. He was eventually taken into custody. Police found two handguns, two shotguns, a rifle, a crossbow, machete, stun gun, hatchets, knives, choking devices, pepper spray, blow dart guns, brass knuckles, fireworks, and other weapons inside his vehicle. He also had more than a thousand rounds of ammunition. Bentley was charged with multiple weapons offenses, including having a firearm, weapon, and explosive device on educational property. The university confirms Bentley had no affiliation with A&T and has been banned from campus. When students found out about the incident on their campus, they were in shock. It was unbelievable that I was finding out via Instagram, TikTok, the news, my parents calling me, and I wasn't aware of it when it happened while I was on campus. Police say the suspect, Brandon Bentley, had multiple weapons and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. Students are concerned the street where officers arrested Bentley is home to many A&T buildings, even dorms. I stay in Pride, so the dude, actually, he drove past Bimbo Road, right? And that's exactly where Pride is, so... Them not letting us know is is not good on their part because anything could have happened. School officials wouldn't do an on-camera interview but released a statement. Because the only suspect in this case was taken immediately into custody and incarcerated and his weapons confiscated, there was no ongoing threat that needed to be communicated to constituents. But that doesn't stop some students from questioning that decision. I feel like administration kind of tried to put it under wraps, and they said that because he was already arrested in custody, it is an Aggie alert. But I feel like even as an Aggie alert, you still should take the not just to let us know because of that much, that many things he had, that many weapons. They made us feel unsafe, but people didn't go to parties yesterday because of it. They feel like going outside. So um, I feel like administration should have just done more for us as a community just to help us, just to know that, like, yes, he's in custody, but, like, we're going to be safe because of it, you know? When Greensboro officers arrived, Bentley had been chasing unarmed security guards on campus. He was eventually taken into custody. Police found two handguns, two shotguns, a rifle, a crossbow, machete, stun gun, hatchets, knives, choking devices, pepper spray, blow dart guns, brass knuckles, fireworks, and other weapons inside his vehicle. He also had more than a thousand rounds of ammunition. Bentley was charged with multiple weapons offenses, including having a firearm, weapon, and explosive device on educational property. Why was he released? Why was Brandon Bentley released? I want to know. You heard that list? 
That's longer than the rap sheets of some of the most notorious criminals. Why is someone who brings on a college campus knives, chainsaws, a dozen knives, let me not forget that, a choker, a crossbow, thousands of rounds or hundreds of rounds of ammunition, depending on which of those two reports you listen to, guns, all the rest of it. How on earth is this person just released? Oh, okay, you, you're gone, you're released. As long as you don't come on any college campus again, and it will not surprise you to know that Brandon Bentley is white. It will not surprise you to know that. And by the way, one thing that was left out of both of those reports, the latter with a black female reporter, the former with a white female anchor. You know what was left out of those reports? North Carolina A&T State University, where this white man was with all his guns, is a predominantly black school. That's the missing friggin' ingredient. Some people ask, what was he doing there? I asked you, why did he have all these guns? And what the hell are the police releasing him for? You know what? You know what he was there to do. He was there to do what that piece of garbage did to the 10 people who were black in Buffalo in the top supermarket last year. He was there to do what that piece of garbage, that white terrorist Dylan Ruth did to the nine black parishioners at the Mother Emanuel AME Church. He was there to do what lots of white people did back in 1923 to the all-black town of Rosewood in Rosewood, Florida. He was there to do what white people were doing in 1921 in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was there to kill black people. I don't have to be a rocket scientist. I don't have to read minds. It's obvious. And I'm looking at the report, the second report that you just heard, where the young black reporter was talking. She was talking about all the things she read off the list and you heard from the student, one of the black students who was there. And all I see in the background behind the reporter are black people walking around. All I see, black people all over the campus walking around. And I'm like, yeah, North Carolina AT, I'm sure I've heard that name before. Yeah, they are an HBCU. They are a historically black university. So you know what's going on here. And those police let him go. Oh, you can go now. Did you confiscate the weapons or did you just give the freaking weapons back to him? It's a disgrace. These police let this happen. And I'm telling you right now, if this guy goes and kills someone, these police need to be sued. These North Carolina A&T police or whomever the police were that let him go. They need, they need to totally be sued. Because the thing to do is not to say, don't come to any campus anymore. So he can come to another place that's in public with his guns. Is that it? Why the hell didn't you arrest him? You cannot be having all these things, even in uh, North Carolina, for God's sake. You can't have all these freaking weapons. 
What are you what are you doing with a crossbow and a chainsaw? A friggin' chainsaw. What do you think that's about? An art school project? Give me a friggin' break. And nobody again, nobody mentions racism and anti-black racism. Oh no, no one mentions anti-black racism. Oh no. Because that doesn't exist in America, does it now? Absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. And this guy just doesn't even get handcuffed, doesn't get arrested, doesn't get charged for possession of all these things. Oh no. Don't come on campus anymore. Wrist slap, wrist slap, wrist slap, wrist slap. That is almost as sick as him bringing all those weapons on campus. The response is almost as disgusting. Almost. Not quite, but very, very close second. That is your reaction to someone bringing freaking chainsaws and guns and ammo and ropes and freaking, you know, freaking crossbows and a dozen freaking knives and hundreds, thousands of rounds of ammunition. Really? Oh, you can go now. Provided that you don't come on campus again with a freaking bazooka. Welcome back. So continuing on with North Carolina, I left you there with my reaction to what happened with that story in Brantley Bentley, this white man, 27 years old, on a college campus early on Sunday morning, March the 26th of this year, North Carolina A&T University. And with all of this ammunition, all these weapons, and it's a predominantly black school. This is a white man on a... What do you think he was going to do? I mean, again, I, I talked about it. So the day after that took place, that was a Sunday, March the 26th of this year. The very next day, there was the shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. Six people killed, three of them nine-year-old children. The other three adults in their 60s, I believe all three of them were. One may have been in their 50s, the other two in their 60s, or all in their 60s. They were all killed by a person with a gun, assault weapons. Legally purchased because, again, the state of Tennessee has such lax gun laws. Hello. And so what did North Carolina do? Two days after the shooting that took the lives of eight, the people, that murderer who took the lives of eight, that six people there in uh, the neighboring state of Tennessee. Do you know what North Carolina did? Here's what North Carolina did after that. North Carolina, two days later on Wednesday, March the 29th of this year, the Republican House of Representatives controlled House of Representatives. The Republicans in that house vetoed the uh, overrode the governor's veto, the Democratic governor Roy Cooper's veto on March 29th. Two days after the killings in Nashville and five days after the governor's veto in North Carolina, the Republicans who control the North Carolina House of Reps overrode the veto of 
the Democratic governor of North Carolina. When it came to this particular bill that allows for easier access to guns in North Carolina, no permits for guns in North Carolina, makes it very easy, background checks out the window, all the rest of it. And on that day, March 29th, a Wednesday, just over two weeks ago now, that gun law in North Carolina went into effect. Now, what I'm going to do is play for you audio of an in-depth report on a local news station in North Carolina on this new gun law that passed in the state, thanks to the Republicans who overrode Governor Roy Cooper's veto. Here is that report. It's about five or six minutes. You have to listen to this report and listen carefully, please. This is a local news report in North Carolina about this gun law in that state that passed after the Republicans in the House of Representatives in North Carolina overrode the Democratic governor's veto on a bill that now makes it easier to have guns in North Carolina, to access guns in the state. Listen to this. Three different categories. Yes. So we're going to look at how you buy guns, where you can buy guns, and then how do you store those guns? Let's start with the biggest change from the law, getting rid of the permit process for buying a handgun. The permit process has been in place for about 100 years. So to find out what that means, if you go to buy a gun today, I sat down with Rockingham County Sheriff Sam Page. You want to purchase a handgun, you would no longer have to come to the sheriff uh, to fill out the paperwork and apply for a, a purchase permit. So what steps would I have to do? If you wanted to purchase a handgun from a life, federal licensed dealer, a firearms dealer, then what would happen is you would go to a firearms dealer and you'd, you'd say, you'd like to purchase a handgun, and then they would do a NICS check, National Insta check, check through the FBI, then they would do that check on you. And if you pass the check, uh, then they could make the sales. What if I want to buy it from my neighbor? Uh, then again, uh, if your neighbor wanted to do a transfer and you're not a prohibited person and that person knows that you're not, that you're not, that you're not, then that neighbor could sell directly to you. A hang without, 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 without the current check. Under the current law. Yes, sir. As of today. How do they tell whether or not I'm a prohibited person without a background check? That would be the responsibility of the seller. You should know who you're selling to. Yes, sir. What happens if if a private dealer sells a gun to a prohibited person? Then it would be in violation of federal law and state law. And they could face what kind of penalties for that? Well, it would be a felony. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Governor Roy Cooper originally vetoed this bill because he felt the changes to the process would create a loophole where some dangerous people could get guns. Here he is at a stop in Greensboro earlier this month explaining his view. I think that this legislation that completely eliminates uh, the permit for a pistol, which would make it easier for people who commit domestic violence to be able to buy guns, I think that's going backward. Uh, to try to reduce gun violence while respecting the Second Amendment. On the other side of this issue, a spokesperson from the NRA says North Carolina's new law is a victory for the Second Amendment. 
we, at the end of the day, we don't think that you should need government permission in order to exercise your constitutional freedoms. That if you want to buy a handgun to protect your family and have it in your home, you shouldn't need to go to the government first and ask for permission. Um, so, you know, removing that step, which we see as a burden and impediment to both, again, being able to defend yourself, your home, your family, but again, a constitutional freedom that you have, we just don't think you need to have the government there involved in order to execute that. According to Giffords, a gun safety group that tracks gun laws across the country, this morning, North Carolina was one of 10 states that required a permit to buy a pistol. Now it is down to nine. Connecticut, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nebraska, New Jersey, Oregon, and Rhode Island. The organization also says polling shows 68% of gun owners support a law requiring a person to obtain a license from local law enforcement before buying a gun. Important to note here, that is across the entire country, not just North Carolina. Now, while that part of the law goes into effect immediately, there are other changes that we're going to see in the next coming months. For instance, beginning in July, non-sworn law enforcement employees will now be allowed to carry concealed weapons in law enforcement buildings. But that's only if they have the law enforcement head's permission. Now, that would be someone like the sheriff or the chief of police. Then in December, people will be able to carry guns at churches that share property with a school building, but they can carry only outside of the school hours and when the school is not being used for any non-religious extracurricular activities for minors. A reminder here, a concealed handgun still cannot be carried in any state or federal building, like a courthouse, for example, or on school grounds during those school hours, in areas of assembly, like a parade, a funeral, or a demonstration. Also, you cannot carry your gun into a business that has posted signs banning concealed weapons or by someone under the influence of alcohol or a controlled substance that is not prescribed to them by a doctor. Also, in areas where concealed handguns are prohibited by federal law, the last section of the new law is all about the gun safety. Now, it requires the State Department of Public Safety to work with the Department of Health and Human Services and the Wildlife Resource Commission to launch a two-year safe gun storage initiative. That entails the creation of a website and a toolkit of information for local communities to use to launch storage initiatives at local levels. So the departments are not allowed to use the initiative to advocate for new gun laws, changing that Senate Bill 41. The new law became official after North Carolina's House overrode the governor's veto in a vote of 71 to 46. Now, if you add these two numbers up, you don't get 120, which is the total number of members in the House. You get 117, meaning three people missed the vote, all of them Democrats. That allowed Republicans to have the two-thirds needed to overturn the governor's veto. One of those missing Democrats was Cecil Brockman from High Point. I reached out for comment about why he wasn't there, but haven't been able to connect with his office yet. Republican lawmakers said they gave plenty of notice that a veto override vote was going to happen. Our rules would have allowed this body to take up this veto yesterday when it was sent over from the Senate. But the Speaker did not do that. Instead, the Speaker gave this body notice yesterday while we were still in session that we would do the veto override this morning. 
Political scientists say after the last election, Republicans gained several key seats in the General Assembly and that this may be the first of several times they override the governor's veto this session. Well, today, state Republicans passed a law strengthening gun rights. It's Democrats that are introducing gun safety bills. Let's take a look. House Bill 281 would allow law enforcement to temporarily restrict a person's access to guns if they pose a danger to themselves or others. House Bill 284 would allow law enforcement agencies to destroy unclaimed firearms. And House Bill 283 would require a permit for rifle purchases. Now let's head to Senate Bill 210. That would require a permit to purchase any assault weapon. All four bills currently stuck in their respective rules and operations committees, meaning they aren't likely to get a vote anytime soon. All right, so that means too many guns and that thing, not enough storage, and that's the problem that a local, a lot of local law enforcement agencies are facing. Greensboro's police vault can store up to 3,000 guns. The department told us it's currently holding 11,000. WFMY News 2's Sydney Moore went to the station to learn more about the growing problem. The number of seizures has increased significantly. Greensboro police officers work day in and day out, confiscating guns that are either illegal or used in a crime. Some of the guns, you know, we're, we're still retaining because they may be needed for court and things like that. And they've got to be stored somewhere. In this case, it's an overcrowded vault. This is video from a couple years ago when they only had 6,000 guns. Now it's almost double. We have over 11,000 firearms in custody at present. Director of Forensic Evidence Kelly Moore says the vault is designed to only hold 3,000 firearms. But basically what the law allows us to do now, um, once we receive authorization that a gun is no longer needed to be retained in our custody, um, we receive a court order. That court order permits us to either retain the gun for official agency use, um, or we are authorized to sell, trade, or exchange the firearm with a federal, federally licensed firearm dealer. Moore says the department prefers to give a stolen gun back to its rightful owner, but if they can't track them down, GPD keeps it. There's another option. We are able to destroy guns only when they do not have a legible serial number or identification number or when they are unsafe to use. The department says it wants the ability to destroy guns without any restrictions, something they were able to do before the law changed in 2013. If we were unable to locate an owner um, or an owner couldn't legally possess a firearm and we were authorized you know, to release that custody, we would destroy the firearms. There's a proposed bill in Raleigh that would loosen some restrictions on destroying firearms. Representative Pricey Harrison supports it. That's another important provision in our bill, and there are some people back home, city council, uh, police chief, sheriff, who all feel very strongly they ought to be able to destroy those guns. That would be a big help. The Guilford County Sheriff's Office says it also has a full storage unit as well. So, dear listener, you just heard that report. It was actually closer to 10 minutes. I'm sorry I misjudged the time of that. But you heard that loud and clear. That was a local news station report in North Carolina on the 29th of March, or at least maybe a few days after, it might have been April, April 3rd or so, when they were talking about what happened on March 29th of this year in North Carolina, where the Republican-controlled House of Representatives in that state overrode the governor of North Carolina's veto. It's the first one they overrode since 2018. 
And I'll tell you this, as you heard in that report, there's going to be more of these because now there's a supermajority thanks to, as I mentioned earlier, and I played you her audio earlier, Trisha Cotham switching to the Republican Party in the North Carolina House. And this whole situation with this law now passing in North Carolina, making it easier, not harder, easier to access guns and not even have to have a permit. That happened just three days after the report on Brandon Bentley that I played you. Three days after. White men on campus, on a predominantly black campus, with guns, crossbows, knives. I played you the report. And now, three days after that, you now have a new law in North Carolina allowing people to get guns even more easily. It's harder to vote in North Carolina than it is to access and purchase a gun. That's what these Republicans have done. They have militarized every state that they control in this country. And at the same time, what they are doing is that they are making it harder for women to access the abortion pill. They're making it harder for people to have education. What could possibly go wrong? The laws on guns are lax. You've got a rogue Republican and fascist outfit in that House of Representatives there overturning everything that the governor signs or vetoes, rather. What could possibly go wrong? What you're seeing here is a power grab, a fascist power grab. You're seeing that now in not just North Carolina, but everywhere across the United States where the Republicans have control of the state legislature. This is about power and control and dominance. It's about power. These people do not care about the rules. They want a militarized state. They want guns all over the place. And they want you to have no control over your body. They want you to have no say in education. In Central Florida, for example, the last day or two, a right-wing group called the Mums for Liberty or of Liberty complained to a local Central Florida library that, hey, this animated book, this illustrated book on the diary of Anne Frank, that's offensive. We shouldn't have that in the school. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be in your library. And hey, you know what? This minimizes and trivializes the Holocaust. This is what this right-wing conservative group called the Mums of Liberty said to a library in Central Florida the other day. And you know what the library did? They said, right, you are. Okay, yeah, we'll ban it. We'll take it off the shelf. And they did just that. They took this illustrated book on the diary of Anne Frank off the shelf in the library. It's gone. 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 Despicable. This is what is happening all over this country, state by state by state by state. 
everyone listening to me right now, you, dear listener included, we really need to be aware, but not just be aware. We need to wake up and act and we need to get involved locally on the state level or on the federal level. We need to get involved in what's going on. This is our lives. These are our lives. People are taking our lives through gun violence. They're taking our lives through banning contraception. That's coming next. They're taking away choice. I mean, this is a fascist power grab. This is Gilead. This is the handmaid's tale. You're seeing what the police are doing to black people across this country. It's being shown to you and put in your face. And it has been for centuries. In your face. What are we going to do about all of this? We have to vote. Every time there's an election in the city or state that we live in, we must vote in it. All this nonsense that you hear from people, oh, voting doesn't matter. Just knock that nonsense out of your head, please. Don't even pay any mind to it. Because I guarantee you, the right wing are not saying voting doesn't matter. All these crazies who show up at these rallies for that piece of garbage who's been twice impeached, none of them are saying that voting doesn't matter. So why the heck are you saying it? Why the heck are some people saying this? Why are some black folks saying this? Black people are the last people who should be saying anything stupid like that. There's always a few. Oh, voting doesn't matter. Really? Give me a break. You don't hear any of these right-wing crazies saying voting doesn't matter. You know what they do? They go to the voting booth and they vote. None of them, I've never heard any of these right-wingers say voting doesn't count. And if you want a clear example of that, go to what happened in 2020. And you had that piece of garbage and Giuliani and all these people challenging every freaking thing that happened. Even though appointed judges by the piece of garbage were ruling against them and throwing them out of court and laughing them out of court. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Laughing them out of court. 62 out of 63 times. Voting counts. None of these people ever said that voting doesn't matter. And another illustration of that, go back to January 2nd of 2021, when the piece of garbage called up the Georgia State, Secretary of State for Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, and say, find me 11,780 votes. Find them for me. Find them for me. Find them. Find them. Find them. Talk, don't ever tell anyone and don't ever let anyone tell you that voting doesn't count. Because that criminal was begging for votes to be found. And none of them were saying voting doesn't count. They were trying to steal votes. They were trying to make votes up. They were inventing votes. And yet, some of us are out here talking foolishness. It's, it's a small percentage. I don't want to make this seem like it's a massive... It's less than 2% of people talking like this. Oh, voting doesn't matter. And meanwhile, these Republicans aren't saying that. So why are you? Why are you saying it? And they're the ones who keep stealing votes. They're the ones who keep doing all these things to make it harder for you to vote. And you're sitting there going, well, voting doesn't matter. And then you're not voting yourself. 
So you're not making it matter. And you hear what I've just played you the course of the last God knows how long on this episode about what these Republicans are doing, about the supermajority that they have in a number of states, including Tennessee, where these two brothers just got reinstated, including in North Carolina, which is my focus here on this episode today, where you see that a Democrat switched over to the Republican Party. Don't tell me that voting doesn't matter and that voting doesn't count. Don't tell me that. When you have someone who's now switched parties and now has given the North Carolina House of Representatives a supermajority, which means they can veto any bill that the governor signs at will. They can totally veto anything that Roy Cooper, the Democratic governor, signs. Anything. They can override his veto, is my point. They can do that anytime they want, rendering him powerless. Yes, he's in office as a Democrat, but he's essentially a powerless politician. That's what a Republican supermajority in the House of Representatives in North Carolina gets you. That's what it does. Don't tell me that voting doesn't count. Come on, think. I know that that's not a fashionable thing to do in the United States, but my God, you need to think to those of you out there, to whomever this concerns, who talks about, oh, voting doesn't count, it doesn't matter, the same thing's going to happen anyway. Have you voted in your local elections? Have you voted in your state election? Because your local election especially determines how police budgets get put forth, determines how your school board and how education in your city gets allocated and what happens. Have you, do you know who your city council person is? Have you engaged with them? I mean, people are just so ignorant, so ignorant. And meanwhile, these Republicans are turning this place into a fascist haven. And sooner or later, you'll start to see more Confederate battle flags around and swastikas all over the place, if you're not careful. In fact, you've seen them. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy. People are just so lax and so into their iPhone and the automation. They're like robots walking around. It's absolutely a joke. We need to get wise and get with it quick because what's happening in North Carolina is happening in a number of cities and states rather across this country and you have to wake up. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. 
They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. So North Carolina, that is a very significant state. What's going on in North Carolina right now is very, very key. And by the way, it was a state that the piece of garbage won by less than 2% in in the 2020 presidential election. This is a really very, very important uh, time. We really do have to uh, keep things in mind here, dear listener, that um, all of the states in this country need to be closely looked at in terms of what's going on. And I will, over the last, over the next few days, uh, take a very close approach to this in terms of um, what's going on in some of these states that you may not be aware of. And I am going to um, talk about them like I have North Carolina today. North Carolina is a real hotbed at the moment. A lot going on. It is a very... Um, Look, there's a lot of different pockets of, of uh, Republicans and Democrats in the state of North Carolina. I've laid some of that out to you here on this episode. Uh, I'll be keeping my eye on North Carolina, whether it's with voting and uh, attempts to further suppress voting in North Carolina. And of course, you can also follow Democracy Docket at democracydocket.org. Democracy, D-O-C-K-E-T dot O-R-G. Very important. They talk about all of these states and the voting and the kinds of legal battles are being waged to counteract that. And by the way, um, I will play you a, a piece of audio uh, from President Biden. Now, President Biden, by the way, spoke today in Ireland. Um, and I will talk about that a bit more tomorrow. But I want to keep you informed about what's going on in these states all across this country i've talked about florida quite a bit i've talked about mississippi don't forget what's going on there with the city of jackson a predominantly overwhelmingly black city 80 plus percent black population there and what the white politicians of the republican party are doing to take away voting power from black people in the city of jackson and creating an apartheid city I also have talked a lot about Oklahoma and Idaho and Texas and the things that they're doing there that are very restrictive. They, they mean the Republicans, that are do, they're doing that are very much restrictive, fascist, invasive. I've talked about that. I've talked about Missouri a bit. I've talked about the abortion pill. Now the 5th District Circuit Court has now said that, well, the pill should not be taken off the market, but... We're only going to offer it in these very restrictive ways. No longer after 11, uh, no longer up to 11 or 12 weeks um, of a pregnancy, but now only seven weeks. It can't be distributed to anyone who is more than seven weeks pregnant. And you can't get this through the mail. So these courts are restricting. These Republican and the 5th District is the most conservative uh, district uh, court in the entire country. So what you're seeing now is this clamping down, as I said earlier, on your rights, on your physical and bodily autonomy, on your choice. 
on your ability to live. That's what they're trying to do here. That's not not trying. They are doing it. They are doing it. So this is something that is so very important that you keep your eye on this. And one of the things that I uh, do want to say is that it's not just one state. This is happening everywhere. A lot of states, half the states in this country now are controlled by Republicans. 26 of them, more than half. And the answer to all this is for us to vote and vote out these Republicans. Vote them out. This is the only way. Something like Joy Reid said earlier this week that I played you the audio of. This is the only way that this is going to happen is by by getting rid of these Republicans at the ballot box. Vote them out. Vote out every Republican. And as Joy Reid said in the audio I played a few days ago, doesn't matter if they're nice or not. doesn't matter if they are moderates or not. doesn't matter if they're on the January 6th committee or not. It doesn't matter that Jill, that Jill, that Liz Cheney was on the, she's no longer in Congress. It doesn't matter that Liz Cheney was on that committee. I said this all along when she was sitting on that committee. I'm not impressed by her because she's on that committee. She's voted against everything that I care about 95% of the time. So, you know, who cares that she's on a committee? But you see, that's the seduction play that we get thrown. That's the trick that gets thrown at us, that some people are willing to be a part of that hustle, that con. That you're now supposed to fall in love with Liz Cheney because she's on a freaking committee, for God's sake. Never mind the 95% of the time where she's not with us. The, the one thing she is with us on, and then you all jump up and down, some of you out there, like a bunch of fools. Because, God forbid, she's done one thing right in her life, politically. I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is the part about this country that's also dangerous. How we have this room, we wax on nostalgically about people who do criminal things. We look back fondly, some of us, with affection uh, on George W. Bush as we conveniently, some of us, forget how dastardly he was, how he violated our human rights, violated our privacy, allowed telecommunication, telecommunications company to, companies to spy on us without warrants, uh, allowed people to spy on us without any warrants, you know, without any kind of permit, you know, illegally doing all this stuff as he went to invade a country, illegally invade a country, beginning with I-R-A-Q, and lying about weapons of mass destruction, and killing nearly a million Iraqis, and all the stuff that happened to Abu Ghraib, all the human rights violations. They are exporting under him, they were, and that's what a lot of these Republican governments do. They export terror because they've done terror here inside the U.S. and they're exporting it to other countries. It's happened forever as part of foreign policy of this country. Go look up what happened to Chile in 1973, Salvador Allende. Democratically elected president assassinated by the United States, CIA. So, again, we have to be very clear about what's going on. This is very heavy. Yes, it's serious. If you want your levity somewhere, there's a gazillion podcasts to go to. And there'll be an occasional laugh here and there on this podcast. Don't get me wrong. But this is serious stuff. And we have to be voting in every election. Every election. There's so much for us that we have to do. I should play this clip from President Biden. 
um, and this is kind of as a uh, as a coda, if you will, to what happened in what's happened in North Carolina with guns. I'm going to play this to you right now. Why don't you take a listen to what President Biden did last month as far as guns are concerned? Listen to this. Today, I'm announcing another executive order that will accelerate and intensify this work to save more lives more quickly. First, this executive order helps keep firearms out of dangerous hands. As I continue to call on Congress to require background checks for all firearm sales, And in the meantime, in the meantime, my executive order directs my attorney general to take every lawful action possible, possible to move us as close as we can to universal background checks without new legislation. I just, it's just common sense to check whether someone is a felon, a domestic abuser before they buy a gun. So that what he just heard was President Biden with his announcing his executive order to make it harder for people to do this on the federal level, just to access guns. Um, you, you know, the, the, this was in the wake of the shooting in Nashville last month. Um, there, you know, Nashville, the Nashville shooting, by the way, just to add some context to all of this, dear listener, was the 100, if I'm, and I might, might be getting this wrong, I believe I'm not though, because I checked this, the 128th mass shooting of the year, 128th. Out of the 128th or the 168th mass shooting in the United States this year. This year. And by the way, the Biden administration will be appealing the Fifth Circuit ruling about the abortion pill, Mifeprestone, and the restrictions around that. So... That's something that I will keep an eye on for you, dear listener. And one other thing I should say, the remarks that you heard yesterday from Vice President Harris that I played for you, they actually were made on the 7th of April. That would have been last Friday, dear listener, in Tennessee um, with the Tennessee 3, or I call them the Tennessee 2, in, uh, in attendance there at Fisk University. Um, I asked why on earth... There was no video of this on the YouTube channel of the White House. Well, I can tell you this: if you go to the uh, if you go to the White House website, whitehouse.gov, you can read out a transcript of the remarks. You can hear, you can read them um, verbatim, verbatim, which I think is a good thing. But I would also let's you know, I really would like to see the White House actually put. The vice president's speech, because that speech, as you heard it yesterday on this podcast, if you were listening, dear listener, that speech was unreal. Um, it was just unreal. And um, it was it was it was a church moment for sure. And I alluded to that in the episode yesterday. Um, but you really have to watch that speech, uh, either watch it. I'm sure you can get it somewhere on YouTube. Um, but you can certainly listen back to it. I But I, I know that there is a, a link to it because I was able to get the audio from this. So there is definitely on video. Um, you have to watch it. It's just remarkable. Um, this is the vice president of the United States. And that's the kind of passion and desire and fire that we need from 
national leaders, local leaders. We need the same kind of passion that Justin Pearson and Justin Jones bring. That's what we need. Uh, And we need that as voters. It's not just the leaders. It's us. We're the ones who elect these people. We're the ones who vote them into office or vote them out of office. We've got to come with the same passion to the voting booth that Justin Pearson and Justin Jones bring to their leadership in Tennessee as House representatives in the Democratic Party. We have to bring that passion as voters. The onus is on us. The onus is on us. It's not on the leaders. We're the ones who put them in office or remove them from office when we go and vote them out. So we have to be the ones to take this on ourselves and do what needs to be done. That's what we have to do. There's just no question about that. No question about it. And and I can tell you that that speech from Vice President Harris that she gave at the HBCU, Historically Black College and University, Fisk University, is not on the White House website on YouTube, and it should be. It should be on the White House YouTube channel. It's not. But if you do go again, once again, dear listen, if you go to whitehouse.gov and go to the area where it talks about speeches, um, statements and speeches, and, and you will definitely see that. You will see it there. And you will find that under briefing room, speeches and remarks. Go to whitehouse.gov. You'll find it and search for speech. You can, you can just type in remarks by Vice President Harris at Fisk University. Or you can just type in briefing room or just look for briefing room and click on speeches and remarks. And you will find it there. Is that the Fisk Memorial Chapel? So that is actually a church. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a church. Fisk Memorial Chapel. I really would, uh, I would really like to see that on the YouTube channel there for the White House. But the bottom line is, that is, look, the way, if, you, if you're someone, dear listener, who doesn't know what the Biden administration does, because either A, they're not really good at pushing forth their accomplishments, although I think they've improved over the last year or so, or B, the corporate news media, which is mostly com- more common the case, just won't tell you what the good things that they've done because they've done many good things and important things. All you have to do is go to whitehouse.gov, whitehouse.gov, and look up all the accomplishments. Go to briefing room, look at all the statements, all the things they've done. They've done so many things. There's a whole list of their record on what they're st- where they stand on abortion, where they stand on contraception and on abortion pills, everything. Everything over the last two years. I mean, you have to be aware. And President Biden is going to run again. He's probably going to announce it sometime in the summer, I expect. Probably around Memorial Day, around there, or just to kick off the summer, or just after that. But he's going to run again. And so is Vice President Harris. She's running for as Vice President. And in fact, Joe, President Biden would be a fool to actually say, oh, no, I'm going to change it to someone else. You can't do that. You're going to lose a load of black women voting. Trust me, and a lot of black people at large. You're gonna, you're gonna. So you can't do that. And I just really hope now. And look, I've talked about North Carolina today. I've talked about um, a number of things with North Carolina guns and all the rest of it. Um, President Biden, in that clip I just played, he's protecting you, and he's doing gun safety. He's not banning guns. It's gun safety. This is the. 
the lie that the Republicans and these gun nuts tell you, oh, they want to get rid of the Second Amendment. No one's getting rid of the Second Amendment, even though it has outlived its usefulness. It really has. But no one's getting rid of the Second Amendment. Who's getting rid of it? No one is. This is a lie. This is something that the people who are in the Republican Party invent this lie. This, they lie out of their backsides to create this faux victimhood that, oh, whoa, now we've got something to fight about because we're under attack. We're under attack. They're taking our guns. They're taking our guns. No one's taking your friggin' guns. Nobody. You've got a Supreme Court that's allowing them in parks. You've got the North Carolina legislature who has just overridden a veto by the Democratic governor there in North Carolina to make guns easier to get to and buy without any oversight and any permits or background check. I mean, what are, you ta- what are these people talking about? They're talking out of their backsides, lying, lying their asses off. You got how many times now? You got all these mass shooters. How many news reports now have you heard where someone says, and the guns were purchased legally? Because the laws in these states allow for people to literally get away with murder. Of course, the guns were, pu- were purchased legally because the gun laws are lax. And I know there's some troll on social media, I'm sure, will say, well, see, it was legal. They didn't do anything wrong. They purchased it legally. No, you fool. The gun laws in the freaking state are weak because the gun lobby makes them that way. And because you've got too many politicians in the Republican Party, the vast majority of them, kowtow to the gun lobby and they get money from them, the blood money from them. And there's one or two Democrats that do, but it's overwhelmingly Republicans. And because no one's standing up to this gun lobby, they're getting away with all this. And that's why the law is lax in North Carolina and all these other states. Gosh, geez, man. I mean, it's we are living in an idiocracy among many other ocracies. There's a theocracy. There's a freaking autocracy, autocracy, you know. And now there's this idiocracy, this foolishness. That tells you, well, your vote doesn't count. Your voting doesn't count. That stupidness that encourages you or tries to trick you or fool you into voting against your own interests. Don't fall for that. Don't be that person, please. That's it for North Carolina. I'll be doing another state. We're talking about another state in the near future. Might be Michigan. Might be Michigan. I've talked Florida. I've talked Tennessee quite a bit. I've talked, of course, about Oklahoma and Idaho and Texas. Might be Michigan. Michigan might be the next one. I'll mention them as well, as well, as well. But I might go with Michigan again because there have been some things that have happened there in the last few days that you also need to be aware of. The Democrats will support your right to choose. They will. You've got Democratic states, controlled states all over the country who are preserving the right for a woman to choose. And it's not only with abortion, because I don't want people to get sidetracked into thinking that that is the lone issue and there's no others. Because right now the corporate news media is selling you on that. They're talking very loudly about this abortion pill and it's important to talk loudly about it. However, however, there are other issues that aren't being covered that are as important, if not more so. And this is by design to get you to focus on one thing. When what the Democrats must do is focus on everything. And what you and I as a voter must do, as voters must do, 
is vote every time we can when it comes to elections. Every election that comes, we should be voting. We have to vote. There's so many issues, whether it's gun safety, whether it's abortion rights, whether it's health care at large, whether it's poverty. There's so many issues that we have to start getting involved in and start to care about. We really do. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. Don't forget also to follow along on Spoutable. S-P-O-U-T-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash popcorn R-E-E-L. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.